0: You know, thinking, um, you know, I would dare say that the church did a great job of telling boys how to be, quote, men and girls, how to be, quote, women based on their all-knowing biblical worldview. For for churches that want to take a healthy approach to ministering to those facing these challenges, whether it be um, eating disorders or talking about just gender identity in, in general, what, what is your line of work? You know, how would you advise them on how to approach this in a healthy way? We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Caroline Bell, Cindy Folden lore Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including doctorate of ministry and creative leadership, master of arts and counseling, certificates in chaplaincy studies, and peace and justice ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. This podcast episode is presented to you by the Forum for Theological Exploration. Founded in 1954, FTE is a leadership incubator that inspires young people to make differences in the world through Christian communities. In 2017, Kimberly Daniel and Stephen Lewis began hosting small gatherings of entrepreneurs, pastors, and community leaders at FTE. What they learned about how people are working at the intersection of church, community, and business inspired them. From San Diego to Chicago, Christians are disrupting age old practices of innovation. In a new book, A Way Out of No Way, An Approach of Christian Innovation, Kimberly and Stephen share what their work as leaders of FTE and co-founders of Do Good X, a community for underrepresented social entrepreneurs, has helped them understand about what it means to innovate as Christians. Their book is a blueprint for learning how entrepreneurs, congregations, and organizations are making a way out of no way to help their communities thrive. Read what endorser Jennifer Bailey and Brian McLaren and others say about A Way Out of No Way and purchase or download a copy for entrepreneurs in your family family, congregation, or community. Learn more at fteleaders.org backslash away out of no way. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation, is Sarah McCoy Isaacs. She's a therapist, an advocate, and a public theologian. For those who follow her pontifications on Twitter, you know her as Sheologian. Sarah, thank you for joining the conversation.
1: So happy to be here.
0: So how are things in the city of Oaks these days?
1: They're Pretty good. Pretty good. The uh cost of living is skyrocketing, but that seems to be happening everywhere. Um, but no, I I'm happier here than anywhere else as I've found. So
0: All right. So as a kid who, you know, grew up um in the Raleigh area myself, I don't like ever remember anyone ever calling Raleigh the city of Oaks. So, like I'm pretty sure they just kinda of came up with that overnight to kind of, you know, make themselves marketable, I guess.
1: Yeah. I feel like that was some branding done about 10 years ago.
0: Oh, well, they live into it. So so uh, we've known each other since uh, seminary days. Um, both of us have have taken some pretty dynamic shifts in our theological journey around that time and certainly afterwards. Um, you know, as you look back at that time, you know, and, and this is what I love about talking to a broad audience here, people that might be in seminary, people that are early in ministry, people that are kind of... Um, at a different place in ministry, you know, to talk about how we kind of theologically progressed to where we were. You know, so when you enrolled in Campbell, you know, where were you theologically on, on the playing field and, and, and what changed for you along the way?
1: I was certainly to the left of a lot of my family. And one of the reasons I went to divinity school is because at that time, after W had left office, and was leaving it. There was a lot of public theological conversation that felt wrong to me, but I couldn't really articulate what I thought was correct. So it was kind of a journey for me to understand theological language and reread scripture and kind of understand, you know, that doesn't sound right, but I don't know what is right. So it was a very extensive and (laughs) expensive um, journey for me to kind of figure out how i thought that theology had any place currently and ultimately i did find that with liberation theology but that wasn't until the very end of my experience
0: yeah you know the the journey in seminary and i guess for those listening to it's such a unique place because like a place like campbell university divinity school like you have people from like a myriad of backgrounds and not everybody you know is in the same place you are and it certainly uh makes for fascinating uh dialogue for sure so um you spent some time as associate pastor for Love ones in raleigh a ministry focused on caring for those experiencing homelessness uh, but during that time you you made a vocational shift towards therapy take us a little deeper there in your sense of calling
1: sure so i was a psychology major and undergraduate didn't apply to that kind of grad school just really felt compelled to do the divinity school route and i did in my work with homelessness, which was extremely formative for me, um I would not be the therapist I am today or the person I am today had I not had that experience. but I found out for myself, the facing systemic issues head on is overwhelming to me. That's just not my area of giftedness, but the one on one really is for me, so thinking about that and how you know. The church might help people, but therapy helps most people in my experience, and I don't really see my ministry in being in a, in a large group. I don't really consider therapy my ministry, but at the same time, I do think that we are here to make a difference, some people to systems and some people just to other people, and so therapy was the right route for me.
0: Yeah. And for most churches that don't believe in therapy, most likely they're sending their pastors to therapy. <laughs> so, uh, you might be yeah. end up doing ministers to ministers, a uh, ministry to minister. So, um, you know, you're, especially as a therapist is fascinating as you work uh, with people with eating uh, disorders and people who identify as LGBTQ plus, you know, as you were doing your, your master's in mental health counseling and, and practicum, why did you sense, uh, a calling to, uh, to these two specialties?
1: So I actually had anorexia when I was 20 for a couple years, really badly, and was able to recover from it. And in divinity school, even my independent study was about fasting and the relationship with eating disorders, because what we know for sure is that it doesn't really matter the religion, but the higher the incidence of religiosity in a in a house and a family of origin, the higher the incidence of disordered eating. And so that was fascinating to me and correlated with my own experience certainly one of the risk factors for me was being in a very religious household Um, my mom was actually a children's minister and so that definitely was a focus for me in therapy it had been enough time that I was able to do it and not be triggered or have any recovery issues the other population um, I would very much like for there to be enough queer and trans therapists that they don't have to come talk to a this white lady but we're not there yet so I just do the best that I can I also got to know a lot about that community because working in homelessness you see a lot of very young people in particular that their families have kicked them out because they are gay or trans um, which of course is horrifying but understanding a lot of of that just by observation and just by getting to know people, and taking all the extensive training, um, I really do enjoy working with that group.
0: So theologically, at least until the last few years, um, these two areas of the church, uh, I guess these two areas of your, of your specialty, I feel like for a lot of churches, it was, it was hands-off, especially for more conservative traditions that Have made up their minds what they think and believe about lgbtq plus people i'd I'd like to go a little deeper on each of these specialty areas of your work and how it intersects with the church um so growing up i I can dare say that i don't remember the church talking about um mental health uh let alone Mm -hmm. eating disorders um why do you think that is i think
1: that particularly the American church, is a really, really dysfunctional reliance on the individual. Um, I think that eating disorders are largely a cultural issue. They are due to socialization and who has power and who doesn't. So, of course, they wouldn't really focus on that. I think it's more complicated if you have a, a certain denomination that really focuses on fasting, which I am just hugely against. Um, I kind of feel like if you're going to fast, keep it to yourself, kind of like Jesus said with prayer, because what happens is people conflate the notion that you are holy if you don't eat, and as somebody who has had an eating disorder and helps people who are struggling with them, there is no more toxic belief than that one, and often it's not an explicit statement, it's an implicit statement, right, so not only are women not given any power or you know assumed to be as righteous as men, there's also this notion that God loves you more if you don't eat much, and obviously that's going to have bad outcomes
0: you know thinking um, you know I would dare say that the, the church did a great job of telling boys how to be quote men and girls how to be quote women based on their all knowing biblical worldview for for churches that want to take a healthy approach to ministering to those facing these challenges, whether it be um, eating disorders or talking about just gender identity in, in general, what what is your line of work? You know, how would you advise them on how to approach this in a healthy way?
1: I really think that the focus on the gender binary is is toxic for everyone in every setting, including the church, right? So how I was taught to be a woman was, not really a standalone set of beliefs or practices, it was in relation to men. Everything that I was supposed to be was in deference to or in relation to how the opposite gender was. I don't think that's helping. Of course, that was what I would come to identify later as a compliment, (laughs) I always say it wrong, complimentarianism, Um, even my mouth rejects it. Point of view. I I don't believe in that. I believe in an egalitarian. But I also think that every single species is more complicated than a binary, including people. So that is true of the gender binary. That is true of you know our own ways of being. And really, when you look at scripture, that's supported. You know, there's male and female references to God. Jesus uses mothering language. I just think that we kind of, we minimize both people and God if we insist on this really rigid, men are like this and women are like this.
0: This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around the world. CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your ministry. CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website. At churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. For those that grew up in the evangelical tradition, there's no question about how much the church uh, or how the church felt and treated those from the LGBTQ community. Um, In fact, if there was one thing the church was clear about uh, among many theological issues is that, you know, that these quote, you know, those people are are not welcome here. Um, You know, I grew up with people who fearfully remain closeted because of what their youth ministers and youth groups might think, uh, let alone their their parents. So just how much complex mental minds has the church set for those who identify um, as LGBTQ that grew up in this tradition? You
1: know, I... I work with people every day that grew up religious and the fear of being just completely sinful in your sense of attraction or your sense of gender identity. I I don't think there's anything more fear-inducing than that. I mean, it, it tells you basically that everything about you is wrong. It's such a destructive point of view. And I think that religion does a great disservice when it does this to any extent to people. We shouldn't have a destructive sense of people. We should have a constructive view of people, right? Um, And I think that when we, we say that people, their very nature is bad or wrong, how can that not continue to affect people even when they leave the church or the faith? Because it most certainly does. And I don't think that that is the lasting impact that we want to be having on people.
0: You know, we we could talk uh, for the next couple of hours about all the ways that churches mishandle these types of conversations, but what are some healthy ways that you've seen ministers and churches handle these dynamics, especially in faith communities that maybe aren't theologically in the same place as, you know, a moderate or progressive church?
1: I think just being open to not knowing everything is such a huge, huge thing that I look for in any, any faith leader or, or church. And, you know, growing up, it was very, this is what we believe and you don't question it, right? I grew up Southern Baptist and I even had great pastors and preachers in that, but still the insistence on knowing everything with something so unknowable. is so toxic if you don't believe in something, you can at least be curious and not condemn it. I I think that what people really need is a a spirit of curiosity and of, you know, seeking to understand and not judging.
0: I have several friends of mine that are in professional counseling and and therapy. um, And they talk about just how much this pandemic has created almost a sense of abundance for some people that maybe they put off going to see someone to to talk about the challenges they face in their life and in their families. Um, uh, you know, in what ways for you, you know, has have you seen this pandemic um, create a healthy opportunity for people, you know, that maybe would not have if they hadn't been staying at home for so long?
1: I think that with therapy going largely online and being able to do it virtually, it's allowed people who, you know, whether they have young children or whether they have a different work schedule, are able to really meet with somebody, Um, because all you have to do is open a new tab. You don't have to make a drive somewhere else and deal with all that. I also think that it, in spending time alone, people have realized what it is they need to fix in their own Self and past in order to kind of have a more peaceful and even non-tormented self right so a lot of things have become very apparent and I think too unfortunately the way that the vaccination and the COVID has been politicized you know we're kind of some of us are shocked at some of our family and friends reaction and their, their stance on these things. And so sometimes it's the final straw and they really want to talk about their family of origin.
0: So there's another aspect of, of your work. Um, You know, there's a therapist and then there's a social media influencer, and you might not be happy with me, you know, calling you that, but you have over 12,000 people following you on Twitter uh, as you give commentary to any number of things, including politics and religion and culture. When you opened the the sheologian handle, uh what was your goal?
1: I didn't really have one. um it was just, oh, this is funny. it's like theologian, but with a she haha <laughs> um, you know, for many years, I only had like a hundred or two hundred followers and was completely happy with that, just saying whatever weird things I observed and talking a little bit about ministry and homelessness, I really, really talked about homelessness a lot, and I still do um it's still extremely important to me, um, but no, I, I have no idea why anyone follows me, let alone 12,000 anyone. Um, but I will say that being a a woman pastor on Twitter prepared me for the criticism I get now, because it's not actually about what I say, it's about what people perceive me to be. And a lot of times the reactions have nothing to do with me or what i actually said or who i actually am a large part of what i try to do on twitter is show in real time that being a person of integrity and you know i do consider myself a kind person but not a nice person like i'm not going to tolerate somebody being just completely rude to me and then defer to that i'm going to show in real time what i didn't have growing up which is a woman not taking stuff from anybody.
0: I'm sure you've had um, some fascinating interactions, you know, from a theological perspective, you're you're broadening the conversation with people who didn't know that to be Christian doesn't mean you have to agree with one theological bent uh, or there's no other option. What, what's been your most uh, mind-numbing interaction with people on Twitter?
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow, that's a good question. Um, there's literally nothing I can't say anymore and not just get really, really weird replies. Like when I said stuff about homelessness and the COVID tests and how that was an issue, like people got so upset. It was a lot of, well, they're doing the best they can. It's like, okay, but my point still stands. Um, I, I think it's just, People think that having a a wide audience is always fun, and it's not. Um, people get really upset, and they try to make your tweets about what they want it to be about. That's probably the most repeated thing that annoys me, is if I, if I tweet anything about, um, you know, therapists and something we go through, there's always within 10 minutes somebody saying, yep, nurses too, or teachers too, and I'm like, yeah, but I can't really speak to that, so maybe you should it's just kind of exhausting. It's like, well, what about this? It's like, well, I, I didn't talk about that. Um, I'm talking about this one thing that I had a really weird offhand thought about and tweeted. So people tend to really start to attack what you didn't say, as opposed to what you did. And it's a tweet, not a thesis.
0: Let's move from the mind numbing interaction to the most life giving interaction you've had on on Twitter.
1: Oh, man, I think there are people that definitely, I love so much and I met on the platform. There's Reverend Daniel, of course. There's, you know, some of my therapist posse. I think that there have been times that I've been really vulnerable about things I was struggling with and people actually cared. I remember when I announced my pregnancy and some people knew that we had been going through IVF um we'd done actually five rounds of it and how happy some people were and how supportive they were for me i think probably sticks out as the most loving interactions. yeah
0: you know i think one of the things as fascinating is, as someone who's who's followed your your work on twitter is that you don't work in an echo chamber you actually interact with people Um, so what's been some of the, the healthiest dialogue you've started, or, you know, you, you started in one place with an individual and they kind of maybe changed their mind along the way as they interacted with you.
1: There are people that follow me now that have no idea that I was once clergy. Like when I mentioned it, they're like, wait, what? Um, and I think that sometimes people will dm me and ask me questions about you know the church or about an interaction they had that was hurtful i'm not there to change those people's minds i think many people have been hurt by the church many people have been hurt by therapy actually they're both places of privilege and we can do harm to people and i think that always needs to be remembered i think that the most meaningful things i get and that always make me tear up a bit is when people will send me a message like hey my sister was really resistant to going to therapy but I showed her your account and now she's going to meet with somebody next Tuesday so it's not always an a conversation that I'm having that I know I'm having but to that person I am so as frustrating as it is when people misread me or project things onto me that it's working the other way sometimes too is the thing that keeps me there.
0: Our guest is Sarah McCoy Isaacs. You can learn more about her work at oakcitypsychology.com and join the throngs of followers on Twitter. Uh, Sarah, thank you for making the time to have this conversation. And thank you for your brilliant work in creating a safe space for people to work through the dynamic challenges they face, uh, reminding them they are not alone and advocating for the marginalized.
1: Thank you so much. It was so good to talk to you.
0: We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. BSK offers multiple ways to pursue theological education, helping you learn and grow in your area of ministry. Programs include a 75-hour Master of Divinity degree with concentration in BSK's areas of emphasis, including Black Church Studies, Rural Ministry, and Pastoral Care. For ordained ministers or lay leaders alike, BSK offers nine-hour certificates in black church studies, rural ministries, and pastoral care, as well as two exploring ministry certificates for general ministry training. BSK also offers additional subject-specific training with flourish workshops in subjects such as introduction to youth ministry, essentials in youth ministry, and the upcoming The Flight of the Soul of America. Now enrolling for fall 2022, apply today at bsk.edu. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out CBF.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at CBF.net backslash podcast support.